you're not already open there, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We're still continuing our overall theme of following Christ worth the cost. We've been looking at Mark, Mark 8, Mark 10. But now I want us to turn to this familiar, beloved psalm, Psalm 23. And over the centuries, many believers have found great comfort here. In fact, in my mom's final months, this was a psalm that brought much comfort to her own soul and to my soul as well. And again and again, in those final days even, speaking with her the words of this psalm, and I found much comfort, and I know she did too. Why consider this psalm, though, when we're thinking about following Christ? Well, hopefully it's clear the connection to follow the Lord Jesus as his disciple is to put yourself under the care of the good shepherd. The good shepherd that we just read about who says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I give my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, says Jesus in John 10, 27. So all who follow Christ, his disciples, his sheep, they can confidently say, With David here, the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So that's the connection here. I want us to consider life under the shepherd's care. That's what we have a picture of. The disciple's life under the care of the good shepherd is the picture we have in this psalm. So the title of this message, Following the Good Shepherd. Is following Christ worth the cost? We've answered that question in a variety of ways, but now we answer it in another way in saying following Christ is worth the highest cost because only those who follow Christ have this good shepherd that we are reading about now. There's two main pictures here, two main metaphors in this psalm. One is the one we typically think of first, and that's the shepherd imagery. But there's also this host or friend who spreads a feast in verses 5 and 6. We're going to focus on verses 1 to 4, the shepherd imagery here in Psalm 23. So listen here as I read Psalm 23, a psalm of David, King David. says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's have another word of prayer. Gracious God, again, we thank you that we can gather And again, as we open your word, we pray for your help as you have already blessed us. We pray meet with us and strengthen us in these moments. Give us understanding. Give us help to be attentive to your word. To be strengthened, to have our faith nourished. For our souls to be 
lifted and our eyes to be lifted to Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. At the start of 2020, with still much uncertainty about COVID-19, one of my pastors, Pastor Jim Sevastio, began a series of messages that he called High Rocks for Troubled Hearts. And he got that title from the words of Psalm 61-2, From the end of the earth I will cry to you, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, he didn't preach on Psalm 23, but had he continued that series, he would have preached, no doubt, on Psalm 23, because what we have here is truly a high rock for troubled souls. This text is a rock for us, a high rock. It's also an anchor for believers, and it is a soothing balm for our souls when we're weary and downcast and even straying. The truths that are contained in this short psalm were very precious to David, who by the Spirit wrote these words. But they have been very precious to all of the Old Testament saints after him, and then saints for hundreds of years after that, and they're precious to us today. If they were precious for saints in the Old Testament, they are far more precious for us today because we can read this and we should read this and see in John 10 that good shepherd. So we should hear the voice of Christ here in Psalm 23. Remember how I said that Christ is all over the Old Testament. Well, here we have Christ in Psalm 23. We should listen to this as if the good shepherd is speaking to us. Now, everything is flowing from the first opening statement of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. And then after that, verses 2 to 4, amplify that statement. Illustrate that statement. Giving three pictures, what I'm going to call shepherd scenes. So we have these three pictures that are painted. Verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4. Each a different shepherd scene. So you see how it's flowing from verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. So each of these scenes, you could think of it as an application by way of picture, an illustrative application of that opening statement. You can picture it as three paintings side by side, and the overarching theme would be that first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So this is life under the shepherd's care that we have a picture of. And I want us now first to look at that great declaration of verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just a few words, simple language, but beautiful words. Even though it's just a few words, we can meditate on this our entire lives. David calls the Lord his shepherd. Elsewhere, David calls the Lord his rock and his shield and his fortress, and so on. But this language of the Lord is my shepherd is more personal than saying the Lord is my shield. It's more intimate language that David is using. David was a shepherd before he became a king, a shepherd of God's people. He was literally a shepherd of sheep. And with this background, he is especially qualified to write this psalm. So this imagery for him was especially vivid. 
when he thought about a shepherd with his sheep. So this would have been powerful for David, and we need to try to understand too a little bit what it would have meant for David to hear these words. What should come to mind when we think of a shepherd, and especially a good shepherd? I make no claims to knowing about sheep and shepherds other than what you find in the scriptures, and we can glean a lot from the scriptures about sheep and shepherds. And one thing we know is that sheep without a shepherd, it's the picture of helplessness. That's what we see. Vulnerability. They're scattered. They're lost. They're vulnerable to predators if they're separated from their shepherd or if they don't have a good shepherd, a shepherd that's going to run like the hireling and not lay down his life for them. So these are the sorts of things that ought to come to our mind. Sheep without a shepherd, they're vulnerable, they're helpless, they could be eaten by bears, lions, whatever it might be. But sheep with a shepherd, and especially a good shepherd, are secure. They are secure. The good shepherd knows his flock and he takes care of his flock. So he's going to feed his flock, water them, he's going to take care of basic needs. But not just that, he guards the flock. The good shepherd guides and protects the flock. One man says that the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it. So David says, the Lord, my God, he is like that. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's everything to me. He's with me, my provider, my protector, my guide. I imagine that David would have been meditating on this as he's out in the field shepherding, thinking about the Lord is my shepherd, just as I'm watching out for these sheep. Now, from that statement, the Lord is my shepherd, David draws a conclusion. Based on this truth, David boldly concludes, I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. I will always have everything that I truly need. That's what David is saying. That's his conclusion here. And there's great faith in this logic that David has. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. I want you to notice especially two things about David's statement here in verse 1. The first is that David says the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. Not just a shepherd, but it's personal for David. It's my shepherd. It's intimate language. There's a relationship of intimacy here. Even this is covenant language. One man says it reveals a pledged relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. That relationship is one of covenant. God has graciously entered into a covenant with his people. And the central promise of that gracious covenant that God has made with sinners is I will be your God, you will be my people. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. So there's an appropriate subjectivism in the Christian life. We might even say an individuality that we can say, God is my God. He's my father. Christ is my savior. Of course, we can't forget the Lord has a flock. He has his church. It's our father that we're taught to pray to. But we also... And truth can say, if we're trusting in Christ, he's my shepherd, he's my savior. And so can you say that this afternoon with David, with all of the faithful who can say, God, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? 
Have you heard the voice of the good shepherd calling to you and hearing his voice? Have you followed him? Are you entrusting yourself entirely to him? That's the first thing that I want you to see here in this, this this declaration, this conclusion. But secondly, I want you to notice the grounds of David's conclusion in verse 1. So he concludes, I shall lack nothing. But why does he say that? What are the grounds of this conclusion? It rests upon one thing, and it's simply the fact that the Lord is his shepherd. David isn't saying, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I have many things, therefore I'll lack nothing. My barns are full, my bank account is full, I shall lack nothing. No, he simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I'll lack nothing. Nothing that I truly need, I shall not want. And have you reached the place in your life where you can say, because the Lord is my shepherd, truly, whatever happens to me, I will lack nothing. My soul is satisfied in the Lord. Just as we heard Psalm 16 this morning, God is my portion. God is my inheritance. I have all that I need in the Lord. Have you come to that place? What would it take for you to conclude that you shall lack nothing. Think about that. If I had more money, if I wasn't worrying about how I'm going to pay the rent, whatever it might be, if I had this job or this relationship, what would it be for you to conclude, then I shall lack nothing. If I had health, then I shall lack nothing. Well, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. I have all that I need. That's the logic of faith. That's not the logic of the world. That's the logic of the gospel too. For example, Romans 8, 31, 2, we see this same gospel logic. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If we have Christ, do we not have everything? So that's the that's the gospel logic that we need to hold fast to. If Christ is your shepherd, you truly have everything in him. What do you lack? Jesus says, John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That is what the shepherd says to his sheep. So we have this great opening declaration. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then now we're going to see these shepherd scenes, which flow from that and add color and depth to that great declaration. So the first shepherd scene is verse two. And in this scene, we see God's refreshing care, the Lord's refreshing care for his flock. David writes, He, my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures, grassy pastures. He leads me beside the still waters or the waters of rest. It's a picture of the shepherd caring for the sheep. Leading them there to those grassy pastures where the sheep can eat. Leading them to those still waters where the sheep can drink. But this isn't just a picture of the shepherd's basic care. 
caring for their basic needs. I'm just going to give them their food and their water. No, it's more than that. We have here refreshing care. We have here tender, loving care of the shepherd. Look at the text again. He's not merely leading the sheep to those green grassy pastures so that they can have a meal, but he makes them lie down. He makes them rest in those grassy pastures. And so you should picture the sheep lying down there, satisfied, content in those grassy pastures. They're eating and then they're ruminating so that they can digest the grass and all of that. That's the picture here. They're resting. They're satisfied. But then also he's not just leading them beside waters, but it's still waters. And as I said, he leads me beside waters of rest. That's probably the better way to, to translate it because it's not the waters that are at rest. I've always thought that. He just leads me beside these calm, still waters. It's the sheep who are at rest. He leads me beside still waters, by the waters where the sheep might rest. Waters of rest. That's the picture. So you see how it's more than just the shepherd's care, but it's his tender, loving, refreshing care for his sheep for their whole well-being, that, that, that they might be refreshed. The picture's more beautiful when you understand that the landscape that David would have seen around him is not lush greenery. So don't picture well-watered landscape. Don't picture all these beautiful green trees and rolling Hills, but you should picture a dry and a thirsty land. And then you have this sort of oasis where the shepherd is providing for his sheep and they're feeding on this green grass. So it makes it an even more beautiful picture of the shepherd's care. And all of these words come to our mind beautiful words rest, refreshment, contentment, peace, well being. These are the things that ought to come to our mind. And the Lord provides these things for us. But what does David mean? Does David mean that if you're a believer, if you've entrusted yourself to Christ, if he is your shepherd, does he mean, as we might say, that life under the shepherd's care is a bed of roses? No, he doesn't mean that. David himself, you know, went through many things. And even this this psalm, verse 4, talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death. So clearly the picture here is not, hey, come to Christ, have him as your shepherd, and it's just all going to be a bed of roses. No, that's not what he's saying. But what he does mean here, what the Spirit means, is that life under the shepherd's care, however hard it might be, is good because you have a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, says David. I shall not lack rest even when I'm weary Peace when all around me is chaos, satisfaction even in lean times. The Lord is his shepherd, and we can say the same thing. If you're a believer, you will never lack true rest and peace. It is well with your soul. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, you'll never lack true satisfaction. People go looking all their lives for satisfaction, something to fill the void. But there's nothing in this world that will satisfy. It's like the surroundings there, that cracked, parched land. That's this world, a barren wasteland. There's nothing out there that will fill your soul. Only Christ 
will satisfy your soul, and he will satisfy it completely because the soul can be satisfied with nothing less than the Lord. So we have these pictures here. I want to ask you, how often have you experienced this refreshing care? If you're a believer, where you have felt weary, you felt weighed down, you felt anxious, and yet you have experienced the Lord, your shepherd, giving you this sort of care, refreshing your soul, strengthening you in the midst of all of your circumstances, even if they don't change. Just the other day, I was reading a psalm on the front porch. I was at the Davies house, and the Lord just brought to my soul so much peace and comfort and joy. The Lord does that, refreshing our souls, strengthening us along the way. How often have you come here to the house of God with a troubled and heavy heart, and in the singing or in the preaching, or in the praying, your heart is lifted and you find this solid joy just filling your soul. That's the Lord leading you and causing you to lie down in those green pastures, to feed and to be satisfied and to be strengthened. I believe that's something of what David is getting at in this first shepherd scene. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters of rest. That's the first shepherd scene. The second shepherd scene we find in verse 3. And this scene, we have a picture of the shepherd's loving guidance. Loving guidance. It seems that we have a picture of a shepherd restoring a wandering sheep and leading that sheep to the right path. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul could mean he refreshes my weary soul. That's how I have for many years understood this. But that's what David has basically just said in verse 2, that he refreshes my weary soul. The verb here to restore, it's a very common verb. You find it many times, over a thousand times in the Old Testament. So it has various meanings, but its basic meaning is to turn or to return. And here it has a causal meaning, meaning the Lord causes me to turn. That's what he's saying here. The Lord causes me to turn. The word is sometimes used for repentance for turning. Remember, repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. It's the same word here, or one of the words at least that's used for repentance in the Old Testament. So you see what I'm getting at here. It's not just restoring and refreshing my soul. It's in particular, he, he causes my soul to be turned. That's the idea, I believe, here. And when he says my soul, my soul can be just a poetic way to say me, myself, The Lord, my shepherd, turns me around. He restores my soul. When I'm wandering off the path, away from the Lord, into sin, the Lord graciously, lovingly restores my soul. He turns me around, stops me in my tracks, and causes me to walk in the right way. 
And that second part there, leading me in paths of righteousness, to me confirms that that is what David means when he says he restores my soul. He turns me around and then he leads me in the right path, the paths of righteousness. When I have strayed, my shepherd restores me. So we ask from what? It's from wandering, from straying. We know that sheep are prone to wander. So we could, we could paraphrase this way. When I turn from the Lord, my shepherd, he turns me back around. The picture here is of God's loving guidance, restorative guidance. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack guidance. I shall not lack his guidance. His own experience gives us a perfect illustration of this. King David a godly man, a man after God's own heart, as you know, fell into terrible sin. And for a long time, he was silent about that sin. Adultery, murder, trying to cover all of these things up. And you can read about that in 2 Samuel 11. This sad period in this godly man's life, several months probably, where he is backsliding, wandering off the path away from the Lord. Did the Lord leave him alone? No. The Lord had his hand upon him to restore him. Psalm 32 probably records David's experience in that backslidden time. And David describes it very vividly. When I kept silent, he means when I was silent about my sin, hoping I would get away with my sin, nobody would know. He says, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. God did not let him live in peace. He was miserable. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. What was God doing in having his heavy hand upon David? He was restoring his soul. He was stopping him in his tracks and bringing him around to the right paths. Mercifully, he sent him a prophet, Nathan. Nathan confronts him, tells him a story. David saying, that man deserves to die. Nathan says, you're the man. And the Lord uses that uses that to smite him and to, to bring him to the place where he confesses, where he's broken, and he confesses and he repents and he is restored. So that is the Lord seeking his wandering sheep, David, bringing him back to the paths of righteousness. We have in this both warning and encouragement. There is a warning against backsliding, a warning against wandering, that there's no believer, however strong, however mature, who is, we could say, immune to backsliding. We always need to be guarding our heart with all diligence. We always need to be making diligent use of all the means of grace, public and private, coming on the Lord's day, private and public prayer, all the other means of grace that we have. We need to be guarding our hearts. We need to know what we're capable of, even those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. So there is a warning here against backsliding. Until the day we die and our souls are perfected in holiness, we will be prone to wander. So we need a good shepherd who will guide us and at times lovingly restore us with his heavy hand. Let me ask you, is there a possibility that somebody here has begun to wander, 
to wander from the faith, backsliding maybe. Well, be encouraged. Take heart in this text. It's not always easy to detect wandering, but it begins in the heart, often before it goes to the hands and the eyes and the ears and the feet. And it happens gradually, little by little, compromise by compromise. As you begin to say, well, I'm not going to spend time with the Lord today and not today and not today. It's gradually that we fall into that. That's how it happened for David. Do you think David ever thought that he would be an adulterer and a murderer wandering from the Lord? No, he didn't. So is it possible someone here has begun to wander? You should take heart here. If the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not lack guidance. And you may have God's heavy hand upon you, but that would be God's mercy to restore you to the right path. He will do what it takes to bring back his wandering sheep. He might use a youth retreat. I don't know. I don't know where you all are at, but some of you may be believers who are wandering. And the Lord might use this youth retreat to call you back to the right path, to stop you in your tracks, that you might repent of some certain sin and come back to the Lord. Some of you maybe have never come to the Lord. No doubt some of you have not come to the Lord. And you're a wandering sheep. And the Lord also seeks out those wandering sheep. Those sheep. He will do what it takes. He might send a Nathan, a preacher, a friend, a family member, whatever it might be. But he does it. Look at the text. For his name's sake. He will stop wandering sheep. Turn them around. Bring them back to the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what if you are wondering, what do you do if you've begun to stray from the path? Do what David did. Humble yourself, confess to God, and repent. One of the things that has helped me in the Christian life greatly is to pray through the Psalms. And one of the Psalms I've probably prayed through the most is Psalm 51. When I feel that I have sinned and strayed and I need to confess and repent to God, You do this. If you feel, take Psalm 51 and make it your own prayer before God. Say, God, have mercy on me. Let me remind you of some of those words. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So let me encourage you to do that. Take up Psalm 51. Lord, wash me thoroughly. You know how filthy I am in my heart. I need a thorough washing, and you have provided that washing in Christ. Create in me a clean heart, prays David in the same psalm, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So if that's you, if you're wandering, if you need to repent, take up Psalm 51. There's other verses, other other chapters, but Psalm 51 is a good place to start. If the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want his tender, refreshing care. That's scene one, verse two. And you shall not lack his loving guidance. That's verse three. But the third shepherd scene, the final shepherd scene here, is that you will not lack the comforting presence of the shepherd. Verse four. Comforting presence. This is the climactic scene here. Verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's the picture? It's a sheep. A sheep led by his shepherd 
through a dark and dangerous valley. Not a sheep straying off into the valley, but a sheep led by the good shepherd through a dark, dangerous valley where evil lurks, where things might harm him and even take his life. And yet we see the sheep is not trembling and afraid, but the sheep fears no evil because the shepherd is right beside him, right beside her with his rod and his staff. What are his rod and his staff? Those are just the tools of the shepherd for guidance and for protection. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean? The shadow of death. It may simply refer to extreme danger or deep darkness, but it can also refer to death itself. To death itself. As I'm walking through that dark valley leading to death, the Lord will be with me if he's my shepherd. There's comfort here. When we go through the darkest valleys, even when we face death itself, there's this comfort that the Lord is with us. He's beside us. I will fear no evil for you are with me, says David. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want you to notice something. There's a change here that's significant, but it's small and you might miss it. It's in the pronouns that David uses. If we believe that all of scripture is inspired, we should expect that God would speak to us and encourage us even through little pronouns. David has been saying what he, his shepherd, does for him. So we would expect this. I will fear no evil for he, my shepherd, is with me. But there's a change in the pronoun. He says, for you, my shepherd, are with me. It's, it's a subtle change, but I think it's meaningful to communicate something of the nearness of the shepherd with his sheep as he goes through that valley. You are with me. You are beside me in the dark valley. The Lord doesn't promise to keep us out of the valley of the shadow of death. The promise is that he will be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He might be leading us there, but he will be with us and he will never leave or forsake us. Think about this. We might fear death and what comes or what trials we might have to face. But if we really think about it, what can we not endure if the Lord is with us? If we really have that assurance, my God, my Lord, my shepherd is really with me because he is. But if we can live with that clearly in view, what can we not endure? Can we not endure anything if we know God is with us? His grace is sufficient. He will give me grace when I need it at the right time. The Lord will strengthen me, even through the final trial of death. So we can take this little psalm to heart. If you're trusting in Christ, he's your shepherd. It's a strong anchor in the storms of life. It is a high rock when we feel overwhelmed. And I know that's easy to say when we're not going through the valley, but God's word is true. God is faithful. We need to receive this word in faith and say, yes, the Lord will be with me. He is with me. I will fear no evil. Can you say this afternoon? The Lord is my shepherd.
The Lord is my shepherd. If so, you have everything that you truly need. You will lack nothing in this life or in death or in the life to come. If the Lord's not your shepherd, though, I want to ask again, have you heard the voice of the shepherd going out today? The shepherd calls wandering sheep to himself. Come to me. Find life in me. Repent and rest your soul upon Christ. Christ says, come to me and find rest for your soul. That's true rest, eternal rest. And all who come to Christ in faith are able to take this psalm upon their lips, including, look at the sixth verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The believer can boldly say that. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I ask the question again, is following Christ worth the cost? Only those who follow Christ have this good shepherd. Only those can say in life or in death, it is well with my soul. I have all that I need. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Along the way, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You you may have many heavy crosses to bear along the way in following Christ. But rest assured, Christ will be with you and he will strengthen you and he will lead you all the way home, even to eternity where you can say, I will be with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for words of comfort in your word. We thank you for this blessed psalm. And we pray that we would know it even more intimately, understand it, and apply it. Lord, we ask that we would be strengthened, those of us trusting in Christ, that in our souls we would be strengthened through every trial. And Lord, if any are wandering, that you would bring them back as you have promised to restore wandering sheep. We thank you that you are such a God that does not let us stray away, but you put your heavy, loving hand upon us to bring us back. Lord, it's been good to be in your house. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that we would receive it and benefit from it. Pray that you would continue to guide and to bless us and we commit the rest of the activities of this day and this retreat into your hands, seeking your blessing, knowing that unless you build the house, they who build it labor in vain. Pray in Christ's name, amen.